Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is another serial entrepreneur. He's, in fact, we met a couple of decades ago uh, on a trade show floor. And uh, since then, he founded, I believe, two businesses or three businesses. He's on to his third one and uh, growing fast. And uh, he's the co-founder of Prosper Show that all Amazon sellers know about and also a former Amazon seller. And today he's the CEO of Getida. And uh, Getida is an Amazon FBA and FBA auditing and reimbursement service. And I'm so, also proud to have them as a sponsor of Amazon Legends. So they were kind enough to lend their support. So um, they, are the, they are at the top of the food chain in terms of FBA recovery. So uh, anything that they will tell you, you can take it to the bank and literally to the bank because they'll get money for you. So um, when he's not working, uh, he has four kids that fills his time with. And uh, but also he loves ski, uh, hockey and travel. So with that, everybody meet my guest, Aiton Wiener. Welcome to the show, Aiton. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thanks for uh, allowing us to sponsor. I really uh, respect your uh, program. Well, thank you very much. So, uh, I mean, you, your company does a lot of uh, things for sellers, but you yourself have been around. And and I, I never forget, I was walking the, the, the show floor and then you were walking around. You didn't actually have a booth at the time. You were also walking, lurking around, I think. And then we bumped into each other a, a while ago, right? Which show was that? I, I'm trying to recall. I believe that was a... That was a a beauty show, trade a beauty show for beauty supplies. Maybe, and yeah, I've been, I've been to a lot of shows. Uh, I don't know exactly when that was, but sounds, sounds correct. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I met some of my my best oldest contacts at shows, often on the elevator or in the airport. But uh, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, you know what I love about those shows is I usually you have to reach out individually and then make a call and then schedule a call and then have a Zoom call or a phone call, whatever. Uh, but everybody is together. You can just walk around and meet everybody under one roof, so on the same day. Yeah. So that's that's the best part of. It. All right. So uh, everybody, today we'll talk about all things that go wrong in an FBA operation that you can claim from Amazon. Because your biggest treasure is really your inventory. Uh, you you're converting your inventory into cash. If that inventory goes missing, then you've lost cash. It's as good as losing cash. So uh, there is a way to claim this. But really, in order to claim, first, you have to know what can go wrong, what are the areas, and what are the procedures. Of course, Getida provides that service. But uh, he, here, you're going to learn the methodology. Uh, the areas that leakage can occur, and also what is the process. As you know, Amazon is a process company, so you have to know the process. So with that, let's jump right in. So Aiton, outline for us, where are these leakage areas? Sure. So well put, 
there's two main uh, high-level categories, which are um, inventory and uh, just feed discrepancies, right? So inventory is you know the whole life cycle of the inventory that you sent to Amazon FBA, which is one of the major claims. So let's 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 talk about that first. Um, when you are an Amazon seller, as most of you know, you you send your products to Amazon fulfillment. You're sending them from your warehouse to another warehouse. Sounds simple and technically is, but there's often loss just based on the volume and, and probability. So if you're sending one or a thousand or a million units, you can imagine that they don't all get received. If you think about it from Amazon's perspective, they're receiving, I don't know, tens of millions or hundreds of million units a day, probably. If you actually look at the math, you know, billions a year, not more. So even if you have a one or 2% discrepancy of that, that's in the tens of millions of units. Now, one interesting to know before I go into the detail is that when you actually achieve a reimbursement, which I'll talk about, it's material in that in a typical warehouse, Let's say you have a 3PL, a third-party logistics center, you know, where you send your stuff and there's some loss. It's a bit hard to audit because their systems are more primitive. But if you say, hey, you know, 3PL owner, I'm missing some stuff, maybe they'll credit you, maybe they won't. But when they do credit you, they'll only credit you the cost value up to a certain point, up to their insurance policy. The beauty of Amazon FBA is that even though they control a lot and they charge fees, they're fully responsible for the transaction. So if you send an iPad and they lose it, not and you prove it, which we'll talk about, not only do you get back the cost, but you get back the sale price. I don't think there's another analogy in the, in the space of that where they make it as if you sold it. So basically what happens is if you, you, make, you turn a double negative into a, to a double positive, you lost a $500 item, you're out 500, okay? And you also lost the margin of 100, let's say your Apple or whatever. Now you get back the cost and you get back the margin. Just because you did some data work or you use a service like ours. I think that's pretty unique, but that's the point. So to your point, inventory is important, but you're actually achieving full cost retrieval and margin. It, in, in many cases, it's interesting. We have some sellers who probably never would have sold certain stuff because it went bad or it was not relevant. But it doesn't matter because if they lost it, they get to have this commitment to you. You know, So everyone bashes Amazon on the fees and on the complexity but that's a really nice policy which makes sense because they are the the fulfillment body so having said that when as again back to what i was saying when you send products to amazon sometimes things are lost not received properly received on the wrong shipment received in someone else's shipment your own SKUs are mixed the count i mean i've been at fulfillment centers i'm sure a lot of you have too the way they count it is wrong they scan one on the top and the rest of the bottom are different i can go on and on most of it's human error slash machine error slash the probability, despite all their robotics and all their systems. So, you know, a lot of times people tell me like, oh, Amazon's so sloppy. And I'm like, not really. They're like 98.6% accurate, you know, a, a, as a trillion dollar company. That's pretty freaking good. But, you know, we live in the one, two percent and people should take heed to that because, again, you're getting your cost and margin back and it goes straight to the bottom line. Money wouldn't have, have had without our helper. Your expertise yeah having so so back back to back to the cycle so inbound discrepancies and then once it's received in the warehouse as most of you know they often transship the inventory to different warehouses so if you live in kentucky and you want to get something the same day and it's in la it's not going to happen so based on forecasting and modeling and different learnings amazon will transship units based on velocity 
So, so imagine they got it, they have it. Now they're going to take 27 of your units and move it from LA to Cincinnati. There's another point of loss. Okay. Then within the warehouse itself, there's typical, you know, physical events like lost, just disappeared, stolen, you know, damaged. It, it's just not sellable. Sometimes they dispose it incorrectly. Um, sometimes um, that's within the warehouse. And then on the way to the customer, you know, things happen. That's that's another separate area of last mile, which is kind of hard to audit. Then often customers return items. They don't return the right items. They return it outside the window, et cetera. You have to make sure you got everything back on a removal that Amazon told you you did. That's tedious and it requires data capture. And then finally, it's on your own kind of uh, dime to make sure that the units you got back, you do something with. So if you could send it back to your vendor, cool. If you could send it back to China and it makes sense, great. If you want to donate it for a tax refund, super. But don't just sit on it and don't just have it. It used to be cheap to destroy it at Amazon or remove it. Now it's not cheap to do either. So you have to be very practical about what you do. Or you're losing a lot of money on that process. Yeah. Um, this is great. So you, you, you've, uh, you know, you've been in this space long enough. So obviously you totally know exactly what things, what can go wrong in what areas. So I want to, for our listeners benefit, I want to outline this specifically. So first of all, right at the beginning, I heard you mention there are two fundamental areas of leakage. One is inventory where Amazon is basically mishandling your inventory and in the process, losing your money. The other is incorrect fees. You are being charged incorrect fees, whether it's the package size or whatever. So those are the two separate areas. Yeah, then, I, I, I distinguish would, by those just based on the report structure, because one yeah. is an inventory loss and one is a fee reconciliation. They actually live right. in different reports. but they're also fundamentally different in how they appear and how they transpire. Yeah. Okay. So now if we take that inventory umbrella and look under it in that area, there are six separate areas of leakage that occur. One is when you send inventory into Amazon FBA, that's one you send hundred, they receive 80. What happens to the 20? That's one. The second is they receive the 100 you send, but they, they decide, okay, we're going to send 30 from Pennsylvania to um, Seattle warehouse. And out of that 30, 10 goes missing. So that's another one within the FBA. And the third one is when they ship the customer from your inventory for full order, things go wrong there. That's another one. And then Customer returns it back. They refund the customer. They debit you, but inventory never shows up or shows up, but not necessarily is added to stock or something happens there. It's another one. And then the, the fifth one is you have too much inventory at, at Amazon FBA facility and you decide I'm going to bring it back. And you decide to bring back the 100 sitting in Amazon warehouse, you create a removal order and you never received 100. 20 goes missing out of that 100. 
And, and then the last one is really nothing to do with Amazon, but it is a fact of life that inventory does come back to you. It's not selling or it's defective or whatever. And it's, it's not no fault of yours, but it's the supplier. Then you want to do something with that. So that's the sixth one. So is there a good outline to cover each one? Yeah. I mean, what's not mentioned there is, is one of the major ones, which is not necessarily a journey-based discrepancy, but a physical uh, presence. So in the Amazon warehouse, because of all the movings and goings and volume, things get lost, damaged, destroyed. That's oh, actually okay. a huge claim. It's not really, a, again, a journey-based claim or a discrepancy of transit, but it's a, it's the nature of physical elements or, or, or loss or risk like anything else. Yes, it could be damaged. It could be uh, like if it's a liquid item, it could leak, and then suddenly, it's, yeah. wherever it is stored, it simply goes. goes yeah, back. I mean, the associate it, the associate um, drops it, or doesn't handle it properly, or if it's temperature controlled and they put it in a hot area, or it's hazmat. Yeah. Like you, you name it. Uh, there's a lot of that because there's just so much volume. If anyone's ever gone, you know, they're moving thousands of units like a like a second like it's 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 insane yeah so at the beginning of the show you said something that's so profound about what you can claim i want you to repeat that again for everybody to hear because that's unique uh, if you have inventory and then your 3pl loses what they reimburse you is one thing but tell us again what how amazon will compensate you yeah i don't know if amazon doesn't promote this as much because it hurts their bottom line or maybe they feel it's obvious, but I always have to remind myself that if you have an expensive item or even not, not only do they compensate you the full value, but they compensate as if you sold it. So if you had like a really expensive iPad, but it was an older one and it didn't have so much sales velocity and they lose a hundred and you prove it, which we'll talk about, they'll refund, they will credit you as if you sold a hundred units. Therefore, our work not only decreases your costs, but it increases your revenue because we reachieve a sale that should have occurred. That's a quite unique model from a valuation perspective or from a financial perspective. There's increased top line, decreased bottom line, which leads to much more margin. So right. people are like, oh yeah, it's just one or 2%. Yeah, but what if I told you, you lost your full cost value? Okay, of course you want it back. And I'll tell you, I could create an artificial sale for you. Where else do you get that? You know, That's, exactly. that's something that people don't think about. Where they're like, yeah, it's not that much, or it's just two percent, but it adds up, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is so you're basically making Amazon your custom. <laughs> That's what's I happening. Mean, they they have a marketplace responsibility to do the best for you as if it were them. So yeah. ironically, if it was their own vendor inventory and they lost it, they lose the yeah. sale. And exactly. you can say what you want about Amazon, but if they lose your stuff, they'll honor the sale. Now, granted. They have insurance and they have a lot of policies and they know what they're doing, but still it's a great value that people don't understand. And again, I have to remind myself about that. It's just, it's just all the more important to, you know, keep it, keep them accountable. Okay. So let, let's dig into each one of these areas of how does one go about if they were to do it themselves, uh, how sure. does one go about staying on top of it and claiming? So, uh, start from the top. Uh, we're going to just focus on inventory leakage, not the fee discrepancies. That's a little bit more complicated. We can have a whole different episode about that because it can get 
fairly yes. uh, detailed. So sending into the FBA. So you send 100 pieces because usually sellers have multiple SKUs. So they're, they're replenishing multiple SKUs all the time. So it's not as simple as, okay, I send 100, they receive 95. It's, the, it's, it's a lot more complicated. But what happens when you send a shipment and it's received short? Walk us through the process of the timeline, when to know that that's it, I have to do something, and that how do you go about it? Yeah, so just talk about timeline, which is time sensitive. In the US currently it's nine months. And in, in Europe, it's six months, meaning you have six months or nine months respectively to file a claim. Once you file it within that window, you could, you could extend it if you have reasonable trail of evidence or support. But if you wait six months and one day and you're missing $100,000, that's it. That's the expiration. Like You will never, ever have that money, which is why, again, when people wait, this is a process, especially inbound, which I'll get into. It involves documents and involves some light work, which we try to help automate. But if you're not on top of it, that one day in Christmas season when you had a huge shipment loss, you'll, you'll never see it again in your life. This is not something that people think about. They think in general, I have insurance for this or that. Or my carrier, like if you're not on top of that window, you could wait till the sixth month, you could wait till the fifth month. But if you don't do that, it's gone forever. No zero chance of recoverability. And you can't even claim it with your own insurance company. You basically like just, you know, burning your inventory. So the way it works is that most sellers know if you do FBA or if you're new, Amazon has a dashboard, which is kind of primitive, honestly. Um, okay. Nick, you sent 100 units, we got 98 minus two. And it shows you that on a dashboard level, not on a report level. You actually have to log in. There's no API for this. This is a bit manual, which is challenging in our business. The real way to properly do an audit for inbound, we actually have case managers going into every shipment on the backend level, which is hard to scale with the clients that we have, but it's necessary. Meaning the API won't show you a discrepancy report on inventory inbound. You have to go in. Some people do that right away and they're good about it. And says, okay, Nick, we don't we didn't get these two units. And then you say, no, I shipped them. If it's small value or you're a good seller, often they'll just credit you. But usually they'll say, and they used to always credit, or you would send a screenshot or something primitive. Now, for several reasons, they're very meticulous about it. So you need to show a proof of ownership. If you're a private label seller, that could be an invoice that you bought it from a factory in China or Mexico or US which people don't like to give because you're showing Amazon their source and there's you know theories that Amazon likes to go around sellers and who knows. Also, it's yeah. private and you don't want your company to see it or your people to see it. What most people don't know, which is huge, is that if you are a private label seller or a brand that has a brand registry, you can actually send a signed packing list, which is as simple as, hey, I, Nick, ship these units on this day with this tracking and here's a document signed. Sounds easy. Now, believe it or not, Amazon doesn't have a way to export that. They don't accept screenshots. And most known ERPs in the space don't have that document. It's not really like a, a packing list in the in the logistical world. It's just like a, a note that this happened. You know, when you when you ship units from one place to another, there's a record. But unfortunately, there's no formal way to show that, specifically this instance. So all the different ERPs I've used, there's never been a way to say, like, hey, here's what shipped to Amazon. It either just had units. Or it had like a tracking. It didn't have a whole formal document with a signature. So what we did at Katita, and you guys could do this on your own, is we created a formal tool 
called DocMaster, which is actually patented technology, which pulls in all the data points from the API and the backend and renders documents for you to sign. So you can't make stuff up or be dishonest. I mean, you can, but that's not welcome and not our problem. I, Nick, like here, I shipped 100 units, yes. Or you know what? And we, you have to check. I actually shipped 98, even though you say 94. With that, that, with that process that, that you could do through us, I mean, you could make a spreadsheet on your own or Excel. It's a bit more tedious and you don't know what to make it for. We tee it up for you. So you could just do click, 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 approve. You sign a legal affirmation that this was actually happening. So it sounds simple, but it's a, you can't imagine how much money we've recovered just with that one document that people don't even know about or understand. We had one a seller once, I think this is important, uh, from South America that was talking to my partner, Yoni, about how they, there's millions of dollars they lose because they don't want to give up their source. Meaning they know they lost inventory, but they're afraid to show their factory invoice. So you only said like, hey, dude, like, I don't know if you know, but you don't have to. He's like, what do you mean? Long story short, you only explained that we could do a signed packing list. And the guy started crying because he realized that he literally threw millions of dollars down the drain for out of ignorance. He didn't know that you could do it. And he said, you only said, not only can you do it, but we'll help you do it. And that was a very touching story. Because now he's he has those millions of dollars that he lost, but unfortunately the the, the amount he lost is never recoverable. It's just an example, just like that whole thing I spoke to you about achieving sale price. Like people just don't know. There's so much going on, but this is all that we do. So again, you back to the story, you you have that proof of purchase. You also need a proof of delivery. So proof of delivery is interesting. If you use Amazon Partner Carrier, which is Amazon's UPS or partnered freight. It's their rates, it's their system. Presumably you have the tracking. And if you know what you're doing, you could actually point them to that or say, hey, it's your tracking, you have that. And we have ways to do that. That's kind of easier. If you don't use Amazon Partner Carrier, you need to get a tracking document, which believe it or not, from a FTL or LTL or freight type of environment could be hard. So you have to show Amazon that you own it and that you shipped it. But what we, we try to do in our portal and our services help you do that. We try to automate within reason and, and legal confines the generation of the proof of ownership, which is the signed packing list. And we try to integrate, obviously, with Amazon AGL and Amazon Freight and Amazon Partner Carrier, but also other carriers, any other carriers. It could be Old Dominion, it could be FedEx, it could be DHL to get your pack to get your um, tracking document. Again, whether you're a small or big company and there's different departments, these are things that you need to have. So if no one's on this, logging into Amazon, giving them the documents in a timely fashion, guess what? You're not going to get paid. And also, guess what? People will submit a claim and they forget about it, like everything in life. Most claims are not one on the first, often the third time. So if you do it internally, it's fine, but you need to be diligent, like anything in life or business. If you're not, you'll lose. And guess what? They're not going to pay unless they have everything they need. That's what they're instructed. We try mm -hmm. to create an environment where you could provide those things. Basically, proof of purchase. You could do it on your own. You could use our tool, proof of delivery. We could help you integrate. You could do it. Open a case to Amazon. Follow up with a case as many times as needed to make sure they pay you. Turns could be that you're wrong and you admit it. Could be that they wrong. They're wrong, and they'll admit it. But for sure, if you don't do anything, you lose out. A lot of people think they have inbound covered. And they want us to do all claims, but not inbound. And even after everything I told you, even if you do that process, this is a bit 
deeper. But if you actually do a full reconciliation of every single unit and all the, all the journeys we mentioned, you often find that there's actually more inbound missing because you're just taking their word for it on the initial discrepancy. But if you reconcile every single piece, unit sent, shipped, sold, returned, unfulfilled, which we call um, full reconciliation, in addition to the typical inbound obvious discrepancy, you'll find a full deeper analysis of other loss, which could be a lot for some. That's something that we also do, a full you know, analysis, like an audit uh, of the journey. Um, but again, you could do inbound on your own. We can help you do it. That's the process of becoming aware of it, logging in, submitting documentation, following up, and hopefully you know, winning a case. And, and you're doing this all through seller support, right? You create a case and then you simply stay on top of that case. That's that's how you do it. Yeah, um, we have a limited user for your account that just files cases, in this case, inbound. But again, it's not that simple because we have many sellers, many shipments, many documents. So how do you scale an organization where you're you know, filing hundreds of thousands or millions of cases a month each with their own documents, to their own sellers, their own shipments, their own carrier. So we've had right. to create a significant tech team domestically, globally, and infrastructure and relationship with Amazon to even scale to this point. Because you know, to do it for 10 or 100 sellers like we used to, you could use spreadsheets. But to do it for 10, 20,000 sellers, you need real systems, which we've, we've invested in. Yeah, yeah. So for an individual seller, they just have to develop their own internal way of tracking this because it's you have when you create a case through Amazon help system, that's a case that is in your case log. And and these cases you create for claiming losses, it just they just get mixed up with everything else. Yeah, so, that's a good point. And this is something we spoke about. You know, one time a seller asked us if he could use our case system, you know, because he wants to do not only discrepancy cases, but other types of cases about listings and content and ranking and follow-up. You almost need like a CRM or a, a, right. a, a follow-up system, follow-up with Amazon. My company, my, the one that I sold, the, the, the product company, you know, we had like 12 or 13 people opening cases on, you know, 7,000 different SKUs. And they had to keep a spreadsheet to say like, did Amazon reply? What did they reply? Is it solved? There's no system now in Seller Central help that tells you status. It's just it's just overwhelming. So part of our technology and efficiency is that, that we have internal checks to know what was filed, what was not filed, what's gonna expire, what's the highest value, which seller is time sensitive, who do we need to call for documents? Who do we need to call carriers for? Like it's, it sounds simple, but it's complex, even for one seller, let alone, you know, uh, tens, it, of, it is, tens of thousands. Yeah. yeah. It can be very complex. I mean, this, it, at this point in time, if you're handling multiple transactions and even if you're a single seller, you, you need to have some kind of a CRM system, not necessarily just for customer handling, but process handling, right? So those processes need yeah. to be well-defined, need, they need to be flagged. So you need to report when certain flags occur. And, and yeah. with, the, with the Amazon system, you just have a case log and everything is mixed together. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no API on the case level because it's two-way communication, which is not typical for API environment and scale. Yeah. So when I was a seller, like I had one guy dealing with, you know, listing suspensions or, or or issues. I had one guy dealing with quality control. I had one guy dealing with, 
you know, used like new issues. I, like I had like nine different work streams, but it was super hard to manage it. And it could be that one of them is so much more of a hit to your revenue than the other, but you have no way to prioritize it because there's no system on the market. That would be something cool for someone to develop, although it's hard. But we have that internally that we use for sellers specifically for reimbursements again, just reimbursements. I could yeah. think of like, you know, 17 other use cases. And unfortunately there isn't. So you have these big companies that just have so many people and they all make up their own system that, you know, hopefully works. I have something important for all my listeners. Sellers lose money on lost or damaged inventory with Amazon, which can add up to a lot over a year. Did you know that there is a way to claim all your losses? Getida is the global leader in Amazon FBA auditing and reimbursements for Amazon FBA sellers worldwide. They deliver results with no upfront costs. They get paid only when you get paid. Visit www.getida.com forward slash legends to learn more and sign up. And thanks to our friends at Getida, your first $400 in reimbursements will be free. That's www.getida.com forward slash legends. And that's www.getida.com forward slash legends. Yeah. So, uh, Aiton, I have a question. So sometimes you receive, you, you send 100 pieces. Well, you send four SKUs, let's say 25 pieces each, just to make it simple. And they receive five pieces short on one, but three pieces extra on the other SKU. So what happens in cases like that? I mean, do they do they say, oh, no, you, you shipped five less on this and three extra on the other? And So do you have situations like that? Yeah, so it's a good question. It's variable. You could also, in that case, prove whose fault it was. So as you know, as most know, there's like a box-level detail component. When you give Amazon a 2D barcode or you upload a spreadsheet saying this box has these items or this pallet has those items. If you don't do that, well, I don't even know if they allow it anymore or they'll charge you a fee. Um, uh, this is a long time ago since I sold. But in your example, if you mark things correctly, but they misreceive, you can prove it and either they'll find it and adjust it or they'll just credit you. But if it's your fault and you mislabeled the box, it's much harder because you kind of already started the game off against compliance. And yeah. we could do, we, we can win that or help you, but it's more difficult because you're, you're already coming with a disadvantage and they're receiving millions of units. They, they don't have time to stop and, and fix your issue, you know, yeah. and it, it just depends. Like, so sometimes people give up on those, but sometimes I've seen cases like that that are worth hundreds of thousands where you have to appeal because it's true. Maybe you messed up, but literally it's, you know, your whole inventory. So we'll do specialty cases or we'll do, you know, dedicated acceleration, but it's, you have to be careful there, and it's it's there's no really predictable outcome. Yeah. Say. Well, I mean, they they created this new process for sending FBA to to Amazon. It's the send to Amazon process. It's the new process. Yeah. That, that that requires you to well, one of the options you can do it manually, but doing it manually is, is believe it or not is much more complex because you have to a web page cannot provide the kind of flexibility an Excel sheet can. So therefore, doing it on the web uh, is not as easy. 
uh, as downloading, but you can download. So as soon as you plug in how many boxes you're shipping and how many SKUs you're shipping, then it immediately gives you a template that you must download. And that template gives you a packing list because in that template, it says enter what SKU, how many pieces for what which box. And that's what you populate you know, on your, on your own and then upload it. And then they pick it up. So they are getting the exact packing list that you say you are shipping. Even then they receive different pieces. So, uh, so let's say that you're shipping um, for the sake of example, hundred boxes and each SKU is a box. And you sent 25 pieces per SKU, that's 25 boxes. So one piece per box, and they receive 23, two missing. That still does happen, even with this kind of template. So yeah. uh, what do you do? I mean, I guess the, what I'm hearing from you is really you ought to have your box level pack, packing list at SKU level with a signature that can be used as documentation for you to know what you ship, but also in the case of claim, you can use that as a document to prove rather than have a supplier invoice, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. But even in your case, if you indeed <clears throat> have the box level detail and you didn't do anything else wrong on your end because you accurately shipped what you said you did, they'll still misreceive it many times because they're just right. moving at the speed of light. And then you have to do all the dirty work of proving that to them and following up and spending all your time. So it's like, you want to spend your time doing that or do you want someone to help you with it or do you have a dedicated person for it exactly yeah so all, all, the, all those answers are fine but what's not fine is to not do anything about it and let it expire exactly that, that's just really burning money and it's not that hard to set up if you have the right resources or connections or tools <clears throat> yeah so uh, let's move on to within the FBA. So within the FBA, two different things. That's where basically we, the item goes bad or they lose it or they damage it. Uh, or between two FBA locations, they're transferring from one Amazon DC to another. So tell us about that. How does one track? So because we don't really know. All we know is we sent 100 pieces and... We don't track in our systems how many pieces in each Amazon location yeah. they do. So yeah, how this do you a, know something went missing? Yeah, this is a bit of an enigma. Yoni, my partner, often does like a little webinar showing people how to do it. And this is kind of how we do it, but we do it at a higher level. Essentially, you download an inventory report. You download a discrepancy report. You download a reconciliation report. And you download a finance report. All four are required, and, and guess what? Those reports change every month, different tables, formats, so you have to be on top of the different macros or whatever creation you, you do. The reason is, what did I start with? What does Amazon report to inventory as at a certain point in time? What do they report as a discrepancy? Was it resolved, and was it paid? Five steps, very deep. So, for example, they said there's four, in real time, it's showing three. They didn't reconcile one. Sorry, they said there's five. In real time, it's showing four. They said they reconciled one, but they never paid you for it. So there's four or five checks you need to do 
manually or with some robotics or, or systems to make sure that they're honest. Now, again, they're very good, but we notice, you know, one to two percent discrepancy at large. Half of that's this whole inbound flow, and half of it's these other things, which I call lost warehouse, damaged warehouse, disposed. You need to do a deep reconciliation, meaning obviously Amazon, if they, you know, they have rules for the for the team. So if they find the unit on the floor and they could scan it and know whose it was as a process. But again, they're dealing with millions and billions of units. So one out of 100 or 0.5 out of 100 will have an issue. And it's not their responsibility to go back and clean up their 99% work, right? No one does that, right? If, you, if you're in any process in life or if you do something 90, 99% or your kid gets a 98 on a test, most normal people will not push them to find what he got wrong and why and go crazy. They did their best effort. So they're not going to, could they spend billions to be 100% Amazon? Maybe, but that's not their responsibility, that bigger fish to fry. Therefore, we created a reimbursement policy where you as a seller, it behooves you to check our work, to check our data. And, and believe it or not, Nick, I would say only maybe 10, 15% of the market actually does this or even knows it exists. Most Chinese sellers, most foreign sellers, most sellers that just don't know the game or don't go to prosper, not engage in the communities you are in, don't even think of this. Just like they don't think of some of the other points I mentioned here, because they're just not used to it. They haven't dealt with the pain. Most sellers who, um, most sellers don't know Amazon makes mistakes. Then they don't know there's a way to tell them. Then they don't know where there's a professional way to tell them with like a service like ours. But really our biggest competitor is education, not competitors or internal tools. The point is that, there's just a lot of unknown data and we just, that's all, that's all we do, right? We don't do, uh, again, not a sales pitch, but it's, it's an importance of focus. We don't do listings. We don't do content. We don't do forecasting. We don't do ads. We don't do master of all, track of all trades, master of none. We just do this. And we feel there's years and years more of development just for this because the network keeps growing. FBA growing, it keeps growing. The countries keep growing. The processes keep growing. And just an inevitable, inevitable reality. Um, so that was a bit of a tangent on the impact. Mm -hmm. My point is you can do what we just said, back to the point, unit level reconciliation on the whole cycle or on the dispose and damage, extremely tedious. And I could show most people, unless they're really small or really tight, that's just not worth their time. Because that person that you pay to do that and the potential error you make, or the fact that you're only going to win 40% of cases when we're given 90, it makes mm -hmm. sense for you to pay us a percent of success, only on success, and you risk it on your own or take your time. Yeah. And I can show that in most cases. That's where it kind of gets out of hand. But again, you have to download those five reports. You have to cross-reference them. You have to do a bunch of different machinations. You have to open a case. You have to get Amazon to understand it. Usually they reject it once or twice, depending on the level or amount or the materiality and you have to be on top of them which is the whole follow-up question but if yeah. you do that and you know how to do it you could win those cases as well and you have to do it every depending on how big you are either every week or every day yeah. to, to be tight i have a quick word from our this week's sponsor channeled is a marketplace and e-commerce partner for growing d2c brands our senior team provides a more comprehensive approach to marketplace management including channel PL proven strategies and better execution. 
We use a data-driven approach for full funnel Amazon ads, including DSP. Get a free account audit and a $1,500 bill credit during your first three months if you partner with Channeled. Visit channeled.net slash argometrics to learn more. So, you know, dealing with Amazon is like uh, being a salesperson. You know, they say uh, the success in sales is in the follow-up. So a lot of the salespeople just make one or two calls and then they just drop off. But actually, those who stay on it make the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh call. That's when they get the, the deal. So Amazon is like that. When you ask a question, never a one-time answer. It's usually some standard canned answer that doesn't really say anything. And you have to go back and back and forth, back and forth. So, uh, And in this case, it's not a question anymore. It's, it's money. Yeah at stake so you have to stay on top of yeah. it so so what i'm hearing from you is for the second area of the losses within the fba warehouse either by amazon transferring between dcs or same location uh, they've got five reports where they have to track um, anything that's received uh, anything that's um, you mentioned uh, discrepancy and then uh, resolution, and then uh, paid. Payments, payment five. support. Payment support. It, yeah, it, I think it, it may be four. Um, inventory report, reconciliation report, um, payment report, and there's one more that I'm forgetting. It's just a lot of my head. I think it's four yeah. reports. Uh, that last step is key, because what most people don't realize is that, unfortunately, just because Amazon's, those they reconciled X, or even just because you opened the case that says they reconciled X, does that mean they paid it? Right. So you, you file to the IRS and they say you get a credit. Did you get it? Or, yes. and even deeper, this is what we're working on. They said they sent the payment. Did it hit your bank? So if you really need the money, you'll probably check. But if you're a more well off person and they said they send you 100K, are you actually going to check that you got it and that it cleared Chase? Well, a lot of people don't, they assume. So it's not, they're not maliciously not paying you, but imagine their systems and the millions, the billions that flow every day. Could be say, hey, Nick, here's a $10,000 reimbursement because of some rule or system or process in Singapore, it never hits your bank, never hits your finance report, or it hits the report, but then it doesn't hit your bank. Again, it, it's not so common, but even if it happens once, you think you have the money, you don't, all of a sudden you're like, where, you know, where did all the cash go? I've yeah. seen that. I've seen that in some cases in the in the in the millions. I mean, it's rare, but it's something you need to check. Just like you check if someone paid your rent or whatever it may be. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is actually a good point. So you, there is a uh, there is a clear case of a loss, and they say yes, it was lost, and it's approved for payment. But actually, is it paid? That's a that's a whole different stage. I, I know as, as an online seller, this is nothing to do with Amazon, this is going way back. And uh, when people requested refund, refunds would get approved and customer would be happy, but they never actually issued the ref refund. And the general company policy that they said was approve the refunds, but don't issue until customer calls and checks. And as soon as the customer calls and checks, say, oh, sorry, it got stuck in the system. We're approving now and pay it then. So in the meantime, you're holding on to the cash, right? I mean, yeah, that's blatantly illegal, but it happens. It used to happen more when there was less checks and balances in the industry. But I know companies notorious for that. Uh, not only that, they would send almost 
damaged goods to begin with. So the whole thing was a scam. And no one really knew the wiser. Oh, okay, you credited me. But they never did. That's how they made money, unfortunately. So you have those characters. Yeah. So the third one is sending to the customer. In other words, an order has been placed. Amazon shipped it. Customer never received. Right? What so happens this, in that? This is one claim where we don't really focus on because it's between Amazon and the customer relationship, meaning they use their own carrier. They have their own service level agreement. So technically, some things we think about, if Amazon said they're going to deliver it to you in one day or two days on my behalf as an FBA seller and they don't, I'm kind of getting screwed, right? Because they told you my product's going to get to you in two days and it didn't. So we've been experimenting a bit with these, what we call last mile claims. Hey, you said the iPad was going to get to Nick in two days, but it took a week. That look, makes me look bad. That makes him want to return it. That's not fair. Now, this is a very hard claim to prove because A, in their service level, as you know, they do their best to get it out, but it's really hard for them to promise a date. And the language on that promise is vague as far as audit. So again, if, 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 if they're supposed to ship you a $10,000 order for your business and it doesn't come for like a year, like those, those they'll pay. But to audit the onesies, it involves getting documentation from the client that it actually came a certain day in pictures and photos which is similar to removals, meaning all these claims that involve, a lot of, that involve a lot of data inputs from end users and you're selling thousands of units, it's not scalable. So if we have a big, a big one or a few big ones or technology gets better or they open up more APIs, great. I think it's a huge area of opportunity. As you know, there's companies that audit UPS and FedEx on service level. Meaning UPS said, I have an agreement. Everything's gonna, I'm a, bank, I'm, I'm a law firm. Everything's gonna get to the client overnight. It needs to, or in two days, to a court, but you know I'm a huge firm, and I, I looked at my million shipments, and 400 of them took three days. Why am I paying you for that? And you violated the agreement. Obviously, they have leeway. There was a whole industry where people would audit FedEx and UPS for service level. Right. With with the advancement of logistics and e-commerce and COVID, the carriers said we're not responsible for service level. We can't. We can't be. So if you think about it, and they took away that audit process. You can negotiate fees and whatnot, or or we charged you a a, a, a fuel surcharge for going uh, to some suburb out of district that we shouldn't have. Right. They don't want to deal with that because it's just not scalable. But for Amazon, ironically, we don't touch that. We just touch inbound fees. This that that actual service level, which we'll get to hopefully, is super hard to quantify. You could argue it's a bigger opportunity. So, what I would say is, if there's material cases on your customer support queue where there's shipments that are a certain amount, you know, you could spend the time and, 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 and we could show you kind of how to do it and help you. But it's not something that we do actively. And I've never really seen a scalable process for it. So yeah. I'm being honest about what we do and we don't do, what we can't do, what we want to do. Yeah. Well, so that, for but that the, process is kind of a black box. Yeah. For the listener's benefit, I'll, I'll, I mean, the most common situation, especially these days, is... Uh, Customer places an order and Amazon ships it and the customer tracking shows it's delivered and customer says, I never received. This does happen. If it does happen, first of all, as an FBA seller, you should never have anything to do with losses like that because it's between the customer and Amazon. And if the customer contacts you as a seller and says, I never received it, you simply take it up with Amazon and Amazon will ship another one 
or do whatever it takes. For yeah, them. never never credit never. the customer if it's an FBA. Let them handle it, or else you wind up double debiting exactly. and it's a disaster. And, yeah, and the other thing that may happen is customer may file a negative feedback, a seller feedback. And when you see that immediately, you must request for that to be removed. And simply, that's not your problem as a seller, but it's an FBA item. And Amazon should remove that and then let Amazon deal with that issue. Right. Uh, now, now, this leads to my other one, which is the it's almost like back from the customer. In other words, customer sends it back, but and, and you get debited, but the inventory never arrives. So in this scenario where the customer says they never received it and Amazon ships another one, that's coming out of your inventory, right? Yeah, so this is, again, we, 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 we were exploring it. It's very hard to scale, but presumably if they ship one of my products to you, and you say you never got it. Obviously, they'll investigate or they'll open up with a carrier. Maybe it was stolen. Maybe someone just stole it from someone's porch. Like you see, is became a thing, unfortunately. Um, but if it really was lost, yes, they'll ship another one. Uh, if they shipped another one because they proved it was lost, technically, they should only debit the seller one unit, not two, right? Because they're yeah. responsible. But again, to audit that and show what happened and why involves customer level data, like a picture from the recipient, for example, or a manifest from the Amazon truck, which we're working on, but it's very, very tedious. So sure there's loss of one or 2% like there is everywhere, but there's no scalable way to claim it. Even onesies, right. like even if you and I sat down now and tried to get a, get win a claim on that, we wouldn't because they keep a barrier between the customer. And again, it's something I think we'll get to, but it's quite, it's quite, um, challenging yeah so what happens when the customer returns something you get debited for the refund but the inventory how do you handle the inventory aspect of it yeah so that's something I, I spent a lot of time and i actually also have a, a company called tradeport that i invested in which does reverse logistics and a lot of our flow is just making sure actually amazon sends everything back so similarly you know yeah amazon you know, of course they send everything back guess what they don't, comes in sometimes one package, sometimes 10 packages, sometimes a pallet, sometimes a broken envelope. Sometimes someone sends the wrong item back on purpose or by accident, you know, the whole bait and switch. I once got a, a hard drive bay with a brick in it. So it weighed the right amount, but there's a lot of return fraud. So if you spend the time, in that case, it was a $3,000 unit and you take a photo and you show what happened, Amazon will take responsibility. But most people, don't even think about returns because it's the last thing to think about. And guess what? If you have a lower margin business and you have a three to five percent return rate, I could argue you're not making any money if you're if you're not on top of that. So unfortunately, you can't make claims like the item was damaged because Amazon just says, "Oh, that's the cost of business." The customer said it was damaged, and so he said, "She said." But if it's like significantly damaged, like the whole thing is smashed, or and or it's missing accessories, unusable, unsellable, you can make a claim. Guess what? In order to make the claim. You need to take a photo of the box when it came into the warehouse. You need to take a photo of the packing slip. You need to take a photo of all the contents. And then you need to take a photo of the item in question. Four photos. And guess what? If you don't take a photo before the box is open, you're out of, you're out of luck. 
So you need to create a process if you really want to do this right, unfortunately, where you have photos in the whole supply chain. Now, most sellers don't have that, let alone one photo. But try making a claim on that $2,000 item when you already burned the evidence. Now, it's a bit tedious requirement from Amazon, but again, how do they know that you're not lying? I know, I know people who make it up and say, oh, we never got X. Or they've sent fake, they'll also send fake photos of smashed iPods. Obviously, Amazon will, will catch on because they're smart and they have they have they know what they're doing and people fraud the system. But even if you want to do it legitimately, if you don't have a process or a partner or a service and your returns are worth more than 40, 50 bucks and you don't have a process, you're, you're burning money. I could argue that's the biggest burn point. It's actual inventory that you're just, not only are you going to not file the claim and maybe get the money back, but then you're just going to let it sit, which is a separate discussion we could have on another webinar. But what do you do, you know, post? What we do is we allow clients to send this data to us and we're working on a SaaS tool where they could actually receive inventory and integrate with their ERP and collect data points along the way to claim. So we could help them claim they could claim it on their own. I wouldn't recommend it if you're a private label seller with small units. It's just not worth it, unfortunately. It's actually worth either destroying it or donating it or using Amazon liquidation programs. But if you have items that are worth more than $50, $60, and have some brand recognition that you could resell or, or, or repurpose, you need to do that. You need yeah. to be doing that. So in the case of FBA, this kind of ties back to uh, our last point here is uh, when a customer returns something or they simply reject delivery, things happen and an order comes back. So Amazon will in inspect the return merchandise and decide that it's sellable and it, they will add it back to inventory. In that case, you're good, so there's no problem. However, sometimes they, they decide it's unsellable. So the, the market damaged or whatever. So when it, something becomes unsellable, there is a setting in Seller Central where you can decide automatically for Amazon to destroy it or dispose it, dispose it or return it back to you. So my recommendation to my clients usually is don't have it destroyed always bring it back because amazon will land on the side of the customer to decide whether it's sellable or not and if there is a slight damage to the packaging of the item they're going to mark it unsellable but if you bring it back and then repackage it you can save that so yeah, what are your thoughts about that? How how does one handle? Yeah, so it's best? it's a good point. It's something that people need to be aware of. It's really a financial analysis. So again, if you're selling Nick's napkin holder, and the whole item is twenty dollars, and a used Nick Nick's napkin holder is probably gonna have zero value because no one's gonna buy that. You should probably right. just destroy it, even though it's more expensive, or donate it. I'd probably go for Amazon liquidation, where maybe you get a few cents on it, which is better than nothing if they even allow it in liquidation. Um, just, to, just to say one point, it's true that they get the item back and if, if it looks sellable, they'll put it into inventory. And that sounds great, and it is. And guess what? They'll charge you for that fee to do that. They'll charge you actually a receipt fee and whatever, which people don't know. But I've had scenarios where they've restocked items that look new but are not, and then it, and it came back to hurt. We used to sell this microphone, which looks pristine, but really people use it and there's signs of use. And unless you open and know how to inspect it, which Amazon can't at scale, you wouldn't know. So we used to get all these used as new claims 
on our top seller that was selling millions of dollars because we couldn't control that flow. So either we would have to remove everything. But guess what? That's a new advent, meaning Amazon just allowed you to remove everything and not have them restock. They never had that, which the same vicious cycle where it would restock stuff with the best interest in mind, but really it was used, and then you would get hurt even though you did nothing wrong. So now that there's that, it's a multi-level process. How much is item worth? What's the risk of having them restock it based on the condition? Could it be, could it look used or not? And then what's the cost to receive it back? What are you going to do with it? So again, I, I think the high-level answer is below a certain price point, it makes sense for them to destroy it, unfortunately, or to put it into their Amazon liquidation program where they give you a few cents on the dollar. If you have a meanable, affordable way where you can send it to a charity or deduct it and cover the removal costs, you should do that. But if it's above $50, $80 and has some brand recognition and value, you need to create a process where even if you allow Amazon to restock, the ones that are clearly unfulfillable, you need to have a full process for it or you're just going just gonna to sit and collect dust. And if you don't calculate that loss into your margin on the product, you're missing a big piece. I yeah. saw totally yesterday that calculated, they made a new metric. It was called like cost of return, COR. And they had, in many cases, two, three, 4%. You think you're making 30% on an item or 20, but you're losing 4% in returns that's just not calculated anywhere. That's, that's a lot. Right, right. All right. Well, this is great. Unfortunately, this is the nitty gritty, but as you said, right at the beginning, 98.2% uh, accuracy sounds great, but that one to one, one point something percent adds up to millions of dollars. And what is your share of that loss? So this is something definitely yeah. sellers need to stay on top of. So yeah. uh, I, mean, I, I have no idea how you built a company that stays on top of all this tedious little things that deal with Amazon seller, but uh, it's a, uh, I, I, Frankly, I as a seller, this is not worth any seller's time. To but it's something that needs to be done because it's going to put a hole in your margin. Uh, it's it, that goes directly to the value of your brand that you're building because it's all about margins. So uh, great conversation, Aiton. Uh, let's now get to you a little bit. Let's talk about you. So tell us about Aiton Weiner. So where did you grow up and how did how how did you get to be where you are today in terms of your life experiences? Start from the beginning. Um, sure. Um, I grew up in Queens, New York, one of the boroughs of New York City. Um, I was actually a, a pre-med dental student. I went to dental school for a year. Uh, I did not like it. Uh, I dropped out. I got into digital marketing. Uh, then I got into e-commerce. Then I got into Amazon. You know, you mentioned, as, as you said, I was a seller. Um, I sold that that seller business to a public company, a retail company that wanted an online kind of play. And I also was one of the founders of Prosper, where I think we met as well, which is a, the largest global Amazon seller show. So I got to meet a lot of people like you in the service space and the investor side, uh, in addition to having some fun. You know, learning how to run a show, and you know, a lot of these Amazon shows are more ubiquitous these days. But when we started that, there was really nothing like it, and that was only five, six years ago. Now there's probably too many shows and groups, but it used to be the reality where 
you know, similar to some of the things I said on this on this podcast, people just suffered on their own. Everyone had the same problem. We lived next door, but we never spoke to each other. You know, through this type of medium in your podcast, people could learn. But it wasn't like that. Everyone was suffering from the same problem and hit their head on the wall. Now there's still pain, but at least you have a community and an insight and internet to, to help you. But before yeah. Prosper, there was some very disparate shows of, of software companies that were pushing their own agenda. The point of Prosper was to bring in education, content, help, community. And then eventually yeah, maybe we'll make some money from it or it'll, 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 it'll lead to something. And that really was a very cool journey for, for me specifically. And actually, speaking of trade shows, that's actually where I met the guys from Katita. Right? That's how everything works. Uh, I actually built a reimbursement service in-house. It was okay. Just based on what I spoke about today, you see how complex it is. And they were doing it at a higher level. I became friends with them. I used them to audit my seller account, um, the business I used to run. And this is just an impactful number. When I sold my business, 13% of my net income was reimbursements. Wow. Times the multiple... In these days where you sell businesses a multiple of income, you know, it's a lot. So they got me back two, three hundred thousand dollars times three, four, five, like it's millions of dollars that we were able to get just because we use the service. So you can talk about the one to two percent, or you can talk about that. Every dollar you get back goes straight to the bottom line. The bottom line times the multiple is the value of your business. Not only that, every dollar you get back, if you put it into ad spend, you could see three or four X on it. Right. Yeah. If you put it into whatever, you can see whatever X growth. That's how we try to create the value, you know, from the seemingly immaterial numbers. That's the impact. And it really moved me. So I wanted to get more involved. And long story short, I invested and I became the CEO and trying to grow the company over the last few years. But that's kind of how it all connected together. Yeah. So how does, first of all, growing up as a kid, and then becoming a dental student. So tell us about what happens in between being a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the young ages. Um, yes. I don't know. I was a pretty good, well-behaved kid. I did well in school. Well, you had a business sports. mind. I mean, you you were into making no, money. No, all my no, not at all. No, all my families are like doctors and dentists and lawyers and. I figured I'd just do something like that. My dad's a pretty renowned physician. Uh, my uncles are all doctors, dentists. All my good friends are dentists and doctors, uh, for better or worse. Uh, and I like science. I actually like it a lot. I'm pretty good at it. Um, but when I went to dental school, fortunately, I did very well in the academics component. But the actual minutia and the repetitive behavior uh, just wasn't for me. And I didn't realize kind of how it would make me feel. So I'm glad I kind of got it earlier than later. Uh, if I was a dentist today, I don't think I'd be that happy. Um, and I still have my own challenges today, but I'm very fortunate to be in a more dynamic, iterative you know, business world and learn about entrepreneurship where I could create things than just day-to-day -day, you know, wrote. Like I really dislike school and that whole structure, especially now looking back. But um, yeah, it was kind of a, a godly pivot or, or uh, intervention that I was able to kind of reinvent myself uh, uh, pretty quickly. It took a long time. You, yeah. What? Why did you feel you needed to reinvent yourself? Um, at the time, it was necessity. 
I dropped out of dental school with debt and a child on the way. I mean, just had to provide for my family. I didn't know what I was going to do. I kind of took the summer to think about it. And I just started right away to intern and get involved in digital. You know, my dad's like, hey, you're, you're good at technology. Like, we support you. You'll figure it out. And <laughs> it took me a long time and I failed a lot. But over time, I started to figure it out. And I'm fortunate that I was able to and that I still am. And I could more control my destiny than to be subject to the system. I, I really don't like, I, I respect the medical field, and but there's a lot about, about it that I just don't think is done right. And I feel like even though in our industry, there's certain things we can't control, since it's so new and burgeoning, we, we actually could create the path versus being subject to a structured system with insurance and process and, and rules and corporate. And I, I really don't like that. Um, but I do respect the work, obviously, and I, I like science and all my friends are amazing doctors and just, I don't think I'd be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, reinventing yourself is, is a tough job and especially to do it under the circumstances you did. I mean, having a child on the way and, and, you know, having a debt and everything. So that's, that's. Uh, that's quite a pressure on you where you are heading into a direction of an unknown, right? So you're going to reinvent yourself, but invent into what, right? So you have yeah. no idea. So I think, be tough. Yeah, I think the deep lesson is it doesn't happen for everyone. And again, I, I tell you about all my failures and, and pains and struggles. But the fact that I was like on one set path and similar to some of these examples today where you just don't know what you don't know, I didn't know what business was. I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. I didn't know what e-commerce was. And even every day I learn new things. Now I'm learning about data and data science. Like it takes the right mind. And I think I have a certain type of mind, but it also takes a certain, you know, will and desire and grid and travel and, and sacrifice. You know, like I like to say, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You know, whether you believe in God's help or people's help or whatever, you still got to put in the work. And then you never know. But to be a leader and to forge the way versus just to be a follower is a big difference. I'm learning a lot about that and reading books about that. Um, I, I think I have a knack for it. But the crazy thing is if I wouldn't have dropped out or if I would have gone to a, a different school that was a bit more nice and friendly, I'd probably be a dentist and not know what I missed out on. And that's kind of a crazy concept to me. Yeah. And it should push people that, yeah, you will fail and it won't always work, but you just don't know unless you try. So I'm not saying just, you know, quit your day job, but if you're not happy or you're not fulfilled, money, life, quality aside, like there's so much opportunity out there, especially in e-commerce where despite the competition, like you could do amazing things. And we're just at the beginning of it. So I was yeah. fortunate to, to, to time that properly, but I still think we're at the beginning of it, honestly. Yeah, well, I mean, things happen for a reason in life. You know, it, it, this your story reminded me of a saying. And they they said, but in fact, after the, hearing your story, I'm gonna change that saying a little bit. Uh, I heard this a while ago. Necessity is the mother of all inventions. This is something that you hear all over, but that's only half the saying. The other half is necessity is the mother of all inventions bothered by knowledge and experience. I'm going to change that fathered by knowledge and experience to fathered by hard work, 
and courage. What do you say? I think both are valid. Necessity is a mother invention. You have to have knowledge and experience to iterate or you had no e-commerce knowledge. You had no entrepreneurship knowledge. You just had oh yeah yeah yeah. In my, okay, so in my case, yeah, in my case, necessity for my family led to hard work and trying to figure it out, no matter what, yeah. at all costs. Um, but even that even that line of necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, is actually how we created this whole category. So I told you, I created a reimbursement tool because I saw the problem yeah. in leakage. Yeah. My yeah. partners, Max and Yoni, created Gatita out of the same pain. They needed to do something because they were losing money. So they well, did. Listen, you, and then they applied it to the market. Yeah. But I mean, you, you, everything you described, first of all, Amazon is hard work. And now you, you jumped into an area that clearly is a hole uh, in people's pockets and also a hole as an opportunity to jump in, but it's hard work. So I, I think that uh, I think that you definitely have the right to rephrase that, uh, fathered by knowledge and experience, to hard work and uh, you know courage, because it does take courage to get into this and then create a scalable company. Yeah, I, I, I guess as I was saying before, I learned a lot about myself, which I didn't know, and I'm still learning a lot about myself, which I which I don't know. Um, but it also made me into like a very curious person. Like I'm always striving to learn more and understand more and I push myself and push limits. And I'm kind of bored if I don't, like, I, I don't, I, it's very hard for me to just sit still for better or worse. I'm working on that too, but there's yeah. gotta be a balance, of course. Yeah. Well, well, great conversation, uh, Aiton. So uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, you'll hear Getita's messages. So tell us, how can people reach Getita? And I believe you also have an offer for all the Amazon Legends listeners, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you again. I uh, appreciate the conversation. Uh, Getita.com website. We're actually going to relaunch a little new rebrand soon. You'll see a cooler version. Uh, my email is Aitan at Getita.com, E-Y-T-A-N, or you can message me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active. Um, we have an offer. Sorry, Nick. Is it? Can you just remind me of the the offer amount because there are yeah, lots of different promos uh, out there. Anybody who is listening, go to getida.com forward slash legends, and I believe you guys offer up to four hundred dollars of yeah. reimbursements. Yeah, for yeah. Depending on the offer, it's four hundred or five hundred dollars of free reimbursements. Meaning, the first five hundred dollars we get you back. We don't charge. Typically, we charge a percent of recovery only when recovered. So essentially, it's free money for you. You want to continue with us? Great. If you don't, no problem. Use that five hundred dollars on your wife or husband or whoever. Um, yeah. But it's a good way to understand the game and understand the importance of the tool. And you know, we're happy to help you. We have support team. We have success. Reach out to me. Reach out to my team. And I appreciate the the time, uh, Nick. Yeah, great. Thank you, Aiton, and okay. uh, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Before we wrap up, don't forget to visit www.getida.com forward slash legends to learn more and sign up to claim money for your lost or damaged inventory with Amazon. Your first $400 in reimbursements will be free. www.getida.com forward slash legends and that's www.getida.com forward slash legends. Also,
don't forget to visit www.channeled.net forward slash argometrics to get a free account audit and a $1,500 bill credit. You will join the hundreds of DTC brands they have helped reach their goals. The address is www.channeled.net forward slash argometrics. That's C-H-A-N-N-E-L-E-D dot net forward slash argometrics. And thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.